Welcome to the Alts Podcast. This is not another podcast about the stock market. Instead, we focus on the rapidly evolving world of Alts. The goal of this podcast is to provide original research and insights that empowers you to become a better alternative investor. With each episode, we hope to bring you along with us as we learn together. Thanks for joining. Now let's dive in. Opinions expressed on this podcast by the hosts and podcast guests are for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Podcast hosts and guests may maintain positions in the offerings discussed in this podcast. Hi, I'm Horatio Ruiz, host of the Alts Podcast. On today's episode, you'll hear from Justin Truong, co-founder and CEO of Pushas, a sneaker reselling platform based out of Australia. Justin talks about his journey from selling sneakers as a law student to make ends meet, all the way to creating a sneaker fund investment vehicle with 6,000 sneakers. Pushas is also expanding into the United States in the coming year. You can learn more about them on pushas.com, P-U-S-H-A-S, or Instagram on pushasofficial. I know you'll learn a lot from today's episode and find Justin to be a wealth of knowledge in the sneaker industry. Let's go. All right, Justin, thank you for, for joining us tonight. Uh, it's really a privilege to have you here and, and really to learn about pushes and what you're doing in Australia. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Justin, you are uh, a sneakerhead, right? A self-described sneakerhead, so much so that you've, you've started this marketplace for uh, secondary sales of collectible sneakers. How did you get into the space? Have you were you always, you know, from from when you were a kid, always into like the the sneakerhead culture, or is that something that you kind of grew into as you got older? Yeah, so I think growing up um, as a kid, we were always in the culture. Like I think yeah, one of the earliest memories that I have was the Space Jam movie. Yeah, I don't know if you remember that movie, but that had the Jordan Elevens in them that that were really insane. And you know, so as as a kid, you could never really afford them, right? And so I was growing up with like Converse. I was a big Converse sneakerhead. So, you know, my parents would allow me to buy maybe one pair a year and the budget was like $50, $60 or something, right? And so I had a collection of, of, of Converse sneakers. But it wasn't until during university when, when the, the Yeezy drops started to come out that that I really started to dive in deep again. I was always following the culture, but but I was never able to afford it and then the the first ultra boost came out the yeezy came out during that era that's when really dived in you know i remember when that yeezy came out and correct me man because and i'm not part of that sneakerhead culture because you know i and i was into it when i was when i was younger but when i found out kanye west is coming out with sneakers to me i was like what does he know about sneakers right but uh it turns out that man, it was like a cultural phenomenon. Kanye has always been into sneakers, so I, you know, even when he first came out, he was rocking the freshest sneakers, and he had a really good Nike collab, and they they were the OG Yeezys. They're going for like crazy amount of money, but but even even back like early when I was in high school, Kanye was always one of the freshest guys in town, right? Like, I, I just don't know anyone who's who's who, who dresses more fresh than him. Like, it was the Louis Vuitton Don. So I, I think you're right. I think in terms of being a sneaker creator, like in terms of you know, working with Adidas and, and designing a whole range, I was kind of skeptical as well. I understand, but but I think like his collabs were always fire with Nike, so I, I had trust in Yeezys. <laughs> so you're getting into into the Yeezys, you know, that's where your 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 interest kind of peaked a little bit. Tell me a little bit though. It, it looked like a lot of times you you were having trouble finding like these authentic sneakers, or or maybe like as you were you know trying to get into the the environment, right, the sneakerhead environment. The authentication was an issue. You were, were you running into a lot of like fake sneakers, and, and how prevalent is that? Yeah, so during that time, I saw that the market was like doing really crazy. 
I was getting into it and, you know, we were just reselling sneakers so that we can afford like pairs to buy, right? And so me and my partner, Sandy, we were reselling sneakers, but it was really hard because like, I think around that time as well, Goat and StockX started to pop off. But when you're buying a pair on those platforms, you paid exorbitant like shipping to Australia. Like you can imagine Australia is like this like island on the other side of the world. If you're buying shoes from StockX and, uh, and Goat, you know, they were primarily based in the US. They were just unattainable. It was already resale price, and then you had to tack on that like shipping on top. So it was just impossible to get good pairs here. And so when we were here, we were just like, man, like we we're just trading in like sneaker groups on Facebook. We we're doing like random stuff at lineups at stores. We were seeing people getting stock, and so it was a really hard process, right? To be honest with you. And so we were like, you know, why don't why don't we just like start you know selling our own stock and and start reselling and putting up a Shopify store? And that's that's how it started. We were just posting up like a Shopify store. We had some of our stock. We were selling some of our friends' stock that were in the sneaker scene in Australia with us. And you know, we were helping them on consignment. But it was just a small thing that, that me and Sandy were doing just so that we can afford to, to pay the bills, I guess, and, and, and buy more sneakers to feed our, our addiction, I guess. Well, mostly Sandy's addiction. She, I had more self-control than she did. She was buying pairs like every two weeks. You know, it's funny. Sandy Lee is, is your, your uh, co-founder. And I'm, I'm going through your site, right? And I'm seeing all the pictures that are posted, you know, with, with people that are giving you reviews. And man, half of the, the reviews are from, are from women, you know? And I think it, it speaks to the diversity, right, of this, of the culture, right? It's not just like a, a male-dominated or a woman-dominated field. Like, it speaks to everybody, right? And, and having a woman co-founder, I think, is, is cool. Like, you don't find that, man, I, to be just, just to be perfectly blunt. Um, we, we, you know, especially in this alternative assets class, you don't see women as involved as, as you, as I, I see that the women are involved with, the, with their sneakers. Yeah. I think it's, um, it was natural for us, right? Like, you know, Sandy, she, she was my co-founder, but she was also my life partner. Like we were, you know, we've been dating now. She's my fiance. It was just natural for us. Like it, it wasn't, it wasn't planned. Like you know, this wasn't one of those stories where, you know, being a startup, you kind of look for a co-founder and do all that stuff. Like for us, it was, it was quite organic. And sneakers is one of those alternate assets that I find, you're right, like women love it, right? Like it's interesting because, you know, I, I'm across a couple of other alternate assets too. And, you know, even NFTs, it's, it's mostly male dominated. Like, yes, you get a couple of influences here and there, but I'd say the majority of people buying NFTs or crypto, uh, you know, are, are male. I guess it could be that that it can be alienating, um, especially, you know, with, with certain cultures. But with sneaker culture, like we find that, you have celebrities that are you know, both male and female rocking sneakers, right? In their music videos, in, in movies, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think like it's always been a very accessible alternate asset class to both men and women, which which I, I love, right? If anything, Sandy was probably the biggest sneakerhead than I was. So I think, yeah, it, it's interesting. And I don't see this in any other asset class. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine there's a natural time to, you know, to fashion, right? But when you think of sneakerhead, right? Also, you think about all these professional athletes and, and all these other guys that have, that have influenced the space like Jordan's right. It's a, it's a basketball shoe essentially, but then this basketball shoe turned into, you know, this, this iconic symbol. And then it's kind of led into, like you said, you know, Kanye West kind of revolutionized the game, right? Like his, his designs kind of opened up a new, a new pathway. Yeah. Like non-basketball hype sneakers kind of class, right? Like I, I feel like, you know, even though with Jordan's, you know, they, they are a straight, street sneaker right like it's been kind of street cultures kind of taken over but you know they're still originally they, they were made for the court whereas i feel like yeezys they were designed as a fashion statement right and i think that's what made them different and that's what really made the market more accessible absolutely 
So, you know, you, you saw that getting these sneakers shipped to you from StockX was, was expensive. And what you effectively have done is you've built like the, the StockX of Australia, right? You know, you've, you've become this, this uh, one of the, the, the leader for, you know, a, a managed marketplace for secondary sales. Take me through that journey. I mean, and you mentioned it before, were you selling sneakers, you know, from, from your apartment? And then you, you saw that, holy cow, you know, this is taking off. Like we, we actually have a, a legitimate business here. What's that been like uh, growing that business? And then, you know, dis- describe to me the foundation for the business. Like, you're, Are you depending on resellers? Do you do wholesale? Take me through that journey. The business has gone through a lot of iterations, I'll be honest with you. Like a lot of people expect us to be like this, like crazy visionary founders who like built this company. But I'll be honest with you, that was not the case. We, we kind of just iterated and stumbled as we went. So, you know, like I mentioned before, right, we were in university, I was in law school and we were reselling sneakers just to make a few bucks. And it wasn't until we graduated uni in 2019 that we were like, you know, are we going to go to our full-time jobs or are we going to do this full-time? And we were like, you know what, let's just do this full-time. You know, we can always go back to a job. So what we did was we actually turned it into a marketplace, so similar to Goat, similar to StockX. But, you know, it was really hard to compete with them, especially, you know, since they were both really growing in Australia as well. And their brand recognition was insane because obviously their marketing is great, right? Like, you know, those companies are great companies. And so we had to find a different angle instead of just doing the kind of managed marketplace that they did. Uh, Our niche began, it became dealing with more the higher, the higher end resellers are the ones that are doing this in high volumes. Because you can imagine if you're selling on Goat or StockX, if you have like 10 pairs, it's actually pretty hard to sell because you're listing each one individually. And so what happens is every time uh, your ask gets accepted, you're having to ship that shoe. And so if you're a uni student selling sneakers in bulk, what happens is, say say you sell three pairs that day and you ship, you go to the, the, the post office and you ship it off to StockX to authenticate. The next day you've got to do another three pairs. So it becomes a process where you're going to the post office like every day to, to sell your sneakers. And so what, we realized that pain point. And so what happened was we started optimizing our business towards those higher volume resellers. And what we allowed was that they can just drop off their sneakers with us. They're 10 pairs and we just managed that whole sales process for them. And so there was really no both cognitive load and administrative load that they had to deal with. That was really cool. you know. And that that model helped us get to a lot of traction. And so as that grew out, you know, building a marketplace, as you know, new supply and demand, right? Chicken and egg problem. So what happened was we were actually like, actually, we need more supply if we're going to do this properly and get the volumes we need to be sustainable. Fortunately, I put up a post, uh, a Twitter post one day, a tweet one day, and I was just like, hey, would anyone want to invest in the sneaker fund? And, you know, because we were reselling our own sneakers, we knew that we were making really decent returns. We were able to close close the investment round in like less than 24 hours. It was insane. Like I did not expect that to happen. I just thought we might get like 10, 20 grand and buy more stock and then and, and to sell it. But, you know, we, we had like over like 200k interested and so we didn't know how we were going to do a sneaker fund too like that was the the, the i guess the admin side of things we, we just didn't know what we we're doing but you know being a startup and, and hustling you kind of just set to, you commit to it and you're like you know what we're gonna figure this out and so we did that we started up the fund in three months we, we got really great returns investors were really happy so they wanted to put in more money we took in another 300 grand and then this was around august last year and now you know it's been like 14 15 months and the funds returned over 60%. So that's been insane, right? And and on top of that, it's, it's helped provide us 
with you know a pool of capital to play with so that we we can help cash out our resellers if needed and that we see ourselves as, as like an open door for sneakers where we're able to provide that instant liquidity if needed on on that front um but also we run a sneaker fund where we have lps right that that are investing in this asset class and so we're running like a marketplace an instant liquidity kind of play and then also the sneaker fund so that that's really interesting to us Justin, what is the, the sneaker fund composed of, right? So so basically you, you, you take some of the capital that you get from your LPs, you invest it in a in a pool of sneakers, and then you know, once those get resold, you kind of have your, your returns. Is that is that what the sneaker fund is? Exactly right. So, you know, we're very diversified. We you know, we're invested in I think right now we're invested in over like six thousand pairs at any one time. We're basically arbitraging, right? Like our strategy is that we have really good data on our platform as to what's trending, you know, the pricing action, the volume action of certain sneakers. And so we use that data to buy stock. And then once we use that to buy stock, you know, it usually flips within you know, a couple of months. And then we use that, you know, those funds to then continue to buy stock and recycle and, and grow the fund. What are you noticing in, in your in your data? Like I imagine it stretches beyond just the Jordans and the Yeezys, right? I mean, is it surprising how quickly the trends change or is it something that's been kind of steady and how quick on your feet do you have to be in, in, in the purchases that you make? Yeah, so I think um, we have a bit of a lead time compared to the rest of the market. I think like, you know, especially talking to other resellers as well, like I feel like we're able to pick up on trends. It's pretty quick. The feedback loop is pretty quick. It's, it will probably be... You, know, you you can start to anticipate searches on the website, what people are searching for, et cetera. And we probably have like a one to two week lead time um, before the market starts to reflect those prices. So we have to act really quickly. We find that the trends are kind of moving away from the traditional Jordan retros and, and Yeezys and more towards new balances even, as well as uh, Nike Dunks. They're doing really well, but the market's so dynamic. Like you have to be doing this full time. Like I think it's not... It's it's become so sophisticated now that you need to be doing this full time to, to really be doing well. Like I think when we first started reselling, trends moved a lot slower. I think because the sneaker market was a lot smaller, and so it, there was not enough action. But now trends are you know changing every month, and so you have to really be on top of it. With, with, you know, with the day to day sneaker changes, what celebrities are doing, what what they're wearing. You know what's the pricing action like? What's what's supply like? What countries are getting the most supply of the certain certain sneakers in? And, How's that playing out? Are there arbitrage opportunities for us to buy stock in other countries and then sell it into Australia or vice versa? It's so deep and it's so intimate now that you know we, our engineers are working really hard to, to, to help us build out our pricing model. And that's that's really one of the things that, that we're focusing on now. You know, you mentioned how complex and how, how, how diverse it is and how many moving parts there are. And I'm actually thinking, you know, you being based in Australia, you have a really unique perspective on, on the sneakers, right? The culture, um, and not just that, but the supply chain, right? Who are you selling to, right? Are, are, is it just Australia? Are you sending, you know, to surrounding countries? And how is that getting, like, let's say, supply from, I don't know, China or, or you know, somewhere like like the Koreas? Like, what is that market like? Uh, as opposed to being in the states, where it's just, you know, hey, it's the United States, whatever we do here goes, right? But man, you have like a, like this international perspective. It's really interesting because I find that being in Australia, you're able to then have a vantage point because you're just a small country, right? And like, if you're gonna grow, you need to be international. So like. I think about this in two ways. So one way is the supply side. So on the supply side, I actually think that, you know, and, and what we're currently doing now is we're getting supply worldwide, right? I think that's 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 the only way to kind of play in this market. Australia doesn't get that many releases. We usually get the worst stock, right? Like just because like, I think a lot of the brands see us as a small market for them. And so they don't really try here. And so supply wise, we, we have to, you know, buy from Asia, Europe, 
the US, et cetera, et cetera. Would you say that you guys, the supply you get pales in comparison to say even like, a, like Japan? Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Our supply is, is really low. Like, I'll, you know, we probably take like, you know, maybe one and a half to two and a half percent of sneaker releases world globally. So we're, we're really small. Wow. So like, let's say, for example, they're releasing a million pairs. We'd probably take like one and a half, two and a half percent of that um, in Australia, like as a, as a market. They'll probably release that much in Australia. So that's amazing because the figure I'm thinking of now, you said the one to two percent. So joggle my, my, my brain here. Uh, Australia, and correct me if I'm wrong, accounts for 10% though of sneaker sales. Yes. So that's amazing. That tells you there's a huge opportunity there. I think the thing that actually makes that number compelling is actually because people are reselling, right? So like, for example, if, mm-hmm. if okay. on the secondary market, you're not just selling once or twice, right? Like you're selling like, you, you might be selling twice, three times. And so say you, you might only have, let's say, 2% of, 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 of the sneaker releases, but what happens is, say say those sneakers are being resold a couple of times, that kind of lifts up the total market, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. So so you're basically saying, you're telling, you know, that, that, that the resale market is, is thriving. Um, and part of that is because your supply is so low. Yes, exactly. And and because we're buying stock from overseas, you know, there's a lot of resellers that are bringing stock from overseas over too, right? And that's why our resale market's so, so huge. Wow. One of the big things that, that, that you offer is you, you talk about the bulk sellers and they just hand everything to you and you manage the entire process. Uh, how important is the authentication process? Like how often do you run into, I guess, forgeries, right? How important is that also to your brand and, and, and people trusting that you're getting the real deal? I think the great thing about our model as well is that we authenticate the, the reseller and then we also then authenticate, we spot check the stock that comes in. So let me explain. So effectively, let's say if they're sending in 10 shoes, right? What happens is we authenticate the seller so we know that they're authentic. And so it, we're a lot we're a lot more prudent in accepting sellers than, than the other platforms are. And then when the stock comes, that means that what happens is we can spot check, let's say like out of the 10, we only have to check two. And if two are authentic, we know that generally speaking, the other eight are going to be authentic as well. And because these resellers are relying on us so much as a, a as a resale channel, they don't want to ruin that relationship. Whereas the other platforms, what happens is they allow for like any seller to, to come in and resell. And because it's not bulk, they have to check every single pair that comes through the platform. And if you're a bad actor on one of these platforms, it, you don't risk anything by sending in something fake, right? If you send in a fake sneaker, you just get banned and then you create a new account and you just resell again. Whereas with us, because we're authenticating the reseller, that means that you know if they send us a fake and we ban them, generally speaking, they're not going to be able to resell with us again. And so there's a lot more to lose. And so we actually don't have that many bad actors on our platform. And you know there's a very small number of fakes that come into our, to our platform. And usually if it is fake, it's because the reseller themselves couldn't tell. And that's why they've sent in a fake, but we usually send them back. We're like, hey, these are fake. And they're like, oh, I didn't know that. Sorry about that. And then, you know, they, they kind of deal with that on their end. So, yeah, our model makes it really, really great for us because the operational overhead is really low, but also the success rate of, of authentic sneakers is actually quite high as well compared to the other platforms. Yeah, I mean, you, you need to have that relationship with your resellers. They're not just like some people that, that you don't know, right? Because you, you, they depend on you, you depend on them, right? I mean, it, that, that's how it works with your model. Describe to me, like, how, how easy... Is it to spot a fake? Because that just fascinates me. I mean, what are some of the best, for lack of a better word, the best forgeries that you've ever seen, you know, where it's like, well, man, this is getting a little little dicey here. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think for us, it's actually pretty hard to spot fakes now because I think you like to the untrained eye, they're getting so good. But 
I'll be honest, like I'm actually not that great at spotting fakes. Our team is exceptional. Like our ops team, I would say we probably have one of the best authentication teams in the world. Most of them have been in working for the primary brands for, for five plus years and then they join us because we're doing something interesting. Sandy, for example, she was you know working at a, another major brand previously to, to, to starting pushes and that, that was her job. And so she has a really great eye on fakes and she's come up with a lot of really good systems and processes with the team to actually spot fakes. And so I'm, I'm no longer kind of in that, that part of the business um, in, in authentication. So I'm actually not the best. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes the team tests me as well, which is really interesting. They're like, hey, which one's fake? And I, you know, I might get it right only 60% of the time, right? We don't get many issues at all um, because they've just, you know, come up with it with, with a robust process that, that stamps out a lot of the forgeries. First of all, I think it's it's kind of alarming, right, that the fakes have gotten so good to where, you know, somebody who's around sneakers kind of has a hard time spying the fakes. But then your your model speaks to having that due diligence, right? You guys, you take that extra step of of, of vetting the, the the reseller and just makes you kind of wonder what's out there. As you were, um, you know, building the business, you know, you have your sneaker fund and I know you just, you finished a, a $1.2 million raise in October. It was announced in October, but we closed it in late July, early August. Are there plans for expanding out of Australia and how easy is it to kind of copy that model that you have? And doing that somewhere else, even say, I don't know, say the United States, right? Is, is that is that in your plans to move to the United States at some point? Yeah, it's funny that you say that. We're actually um, launching in LA early next year. So we're, we, you know, we have a team that, that's there and they're setting up as we speak. So, you know, like you said, right, like the US is such a huge market and that's where most of the sneaker releases are, as well as that's where, I guess, a lot of the, 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 the cultural trends and, you know, the buyers are as well. And so... That's a big part of our, our expansion plan moving forward. How is that going in LA? I mean, how do you how do you find it uh, running a business you know across the Pacific? Yeah, so I think with us, it's having a good team that you trust. Our head of growth is based there, so she's a C suite exec, and 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 you know I trust that she's there and and she's really good at what she does. Our US ops lead, she was actually trained in Sydney, um, so trained with our ops team for a couple of months before moving there. So having a good team really helps. I guess for me and Sandy as well, you know, we, we next year we plan to be there a lot of the time to learn about the market as well. But I think the great thing with the reselling is that resellers aren't geographically limited. So what I mean by that is, you know, if you're an Australian reseller, you can always buy stock from the US on from the US online stores, right? And so the relationships that we have with existing resellers, whether they're resellers from Asia, EU, or even the US, they're really established. So launching in the US isn't actually like that high, we don't, we don't have to start from scratch because our networks are already existing. So that makes it really easy for us. But I think it's more learning about the, the nuances and the idiosyncrasies of, of the market that, that we really need to, to learn about. But in terms of kind of setting up our reseller network and doing all that, like that's something that, that I think the team is, is really on track doing. And, and, and while you're also busy doing that, you know, you're also building your brand as pushes, right? You have your own clothing line, you know, and, and I know that it, you, you have like this, um, kind of like limited drops, right? So you have a shirt with a certain design and it's only out uh, for a period of time or you only have a, a limited number of, of shirts available. How is that building your brand? How do you how do you, how do you find that people recognize the brand in Australia and, and, and are you planning on doing the same in, in the States where you that, that brand recognition is so important, right? Yeah, so I think for us, our brand, and, and this is the one thing that I think we, we're really good at is, is our community. I think like, I think 
you know, a lot of the other kind of exchanges, they're, they're kind of utilitarian. A lot of the other sneaky exchanges, they're, they're quite utilitarian and there's no, I guess, you know, brand sentiment there. Whereas for us, I find that our resellers and our customers are really proud to be Pushers customers, right? Like, you know, we release, you know, hundreds of, 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 of let's say, a T-shirt in one style and we leave it there and, you know, it was, most sizes will be selling out quite quickly. And there's a community that's built around us. And I think like for us, we're, we're, we're trying to build a movement as well, which is the fact that what our brand stands for is the fact that, you know, it's all about hustle culture. It's all about sneaker resellers. And it's all about kind of, you know, paving your own path to you know make a living in, in your own way, whether you're, you know, pushing sneakers or you're, you know, pushing NFTs, right? Like our, our brand is is becoming synonymous with that. And that's what our community likes about us and and for us like you know it's 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 organic like we don't really have any like core strategies to to grow that side of the business but it, it's just great to know that people have such you know strong brand affinity with with pushes could you speak a little bit about uh, the pushes syndicate i know it's a, a kind of like a a membership on on your site right where members get extra benefits how has that been building that up you know it's a it's a paid membership but you're kind of building the community that way as well, where you have special giveaways, you guys have, have you know, raffles, things like that. Is that something that you're, you're, you're focused on? Yeah, so I think that's something that, that we've done and, and just to test out and learn from. I think we've learned a lot from it. I think we're probably going to revamp how it works. You know, for us, like we have a strong community and I think there's different things that we can do to, to really grow that out. But I think the current iteration is, is good. Like I think Doing giveaways, people love that. Talking about sneakers, but I think there's more that we're doing, and we have in the works to really, to really grow that 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 product out. And I think for us, we want to be able to integrate the kind of reselling side of things and being a you know a sneaker reseller with the community as well. So that's that's a focus of ours. Definitely. So coming into the United States, you know, you're expanding, you're growing. Is the ultimate, I guess, goal to kind of be up there with StockX or go, you know, or do you find yourself, hey, you know, we're going to, we're going to work hard. We're going to hustle and wherever we find ourselves, that's, that's where we'll be. And, 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 and you'll trust yourselves. Is there a strategic plan to kind of compete with the competitors or do you find that, that you have that a niche, you know, you have a, a different kind of angle to it? Yes. Yeah, so I actually want to cooperate with, with the bigger players. The way I think about it is that pushes is a platform that that really focuses on supply so we really focus on on serving the reseller and so we see StockX and go like to, to be completely honest with you, we we don't want to be competitive with them we actually want to to cooperate with them and you know we see them as like an exchange so if you think about equities right you know equities doesn't just have like kind of one player right so if you think about like the new york stock exchange and the nasdaq we see StockX and go as those exchanges and we want to be a market maker in, 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 in this ecosystem. So we want to be the, the maybe the JP Morgan or the Goldman Sachs of, of, of sneaker reselling. And so, you know, we have direct relationships with these resellers and we provide liquidity. We're more kind of moving toward that supply centric offering. And, you know, in the future, we might be able to sell through Go and StockX as well as a distribution channel. Like in Australia, we're actually a really close partner with eBay Australia. And so, you know, any sneaker that gets listed on, 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 on pushes, that gets listed on eBay Australia as well. And so we've found that partnership to be really mutually beneficial for us because we help eBay aggregate supply. And then they're there, you know, working on that buyer-customer relationship. And so, you know, ideally, I'd, I'd love to, you know, do that with, with all the marketplaces all over the world. 
like I mentioned earlier in the in, in, in this chat, like I think like you know, our, our business is evolving and we, we actually are, you know, we believe that competition is not the way to go. And we believe that if you find a way to embed yourself in this ecosystem and actually provide value for the other players, that's going to help you grow more. And, and that's, you know, that's core to our strategy. You know, it's refreshing to hear. I guess a lot of times, you know, you think about business, you think about going to different markets, and the first thing you think about is the Coke Pepsi wars, right, or the the Reebok Nike wars, right? And and so there's always that that uh that rivalry, but you you never think, you know, hey, you know, no, we're not we're not interested in competing. We just we kind of want to we want to fit in and, and help everybody, you know, help everybody out. I, I think markets aren't zero sum, like like when it, when it comes to business, right? Like I actually think the best businesses know how to work together and and. And expand markets, right? Like I think that's that's our, our view. We think if you're kind of too zero sum, then you're you're too too interested in in, in how big your pie, your slice of a pie is. But for us, we want to grow the pie, right? Like if, if the sneaker market ten x's within the next you know three years, we're gonna ten x with it, right? Like it's it doesn't really matter. And so if there's a way for us to work with our competitors, or well, you know quote unquote competitors, but if there's a way to w- work with them, that's something that that we you know much prefer to do. Yeah, absolutely. Take me down to the, the fundamentals of this. How would you describe that a sneaker is as a um, as an alternative asset, right? So, is it basically getting getting your, you know your hands on a, or buying a, a a sneaker at retail price and just basically sitting on it for a couple of years, and then if the sneaker wasn't high enough demand, you can resell it for you know two, three, four x, depending on how long you hold it for. It's really interesting, right? It, it, it's actually really nuanced. Like there are some sneakers that are a better long haul. So you look at any of the collaborations they're generally a really good long hold. Then the more kind of like general HGR sneakers, they're better to kind of to flip and, and make 20, 25, 30% as you flip them within like a month or two. It really depends on the sneaker and it really depends on a person's investing strategy. For us and for our fund, we deploy a combination of those those two strategies. And, and for us, it's really figuring out what sneaker best suits that strategy and, and kind of going towards that. And I think... The way I think about someone's sneaker portfolio is sneakers are, to be honest, they're quite a stable asset in the sense that they're not that volatile at all. Like most sneakers aren't going to go to zero. Like you might lose money on some sneakers, which you know probably for us, maybe about 1% of our sneakers we, we might lose on. But generally speaking, you're never going to go to zero because there's utility there, right? Like if you have a sneaker, worst comes to worst, like someone's going to buy it from you at retail, right? So like, your downside is actually quite limited. Like I actually find that even if we do lose money on a sneaker, we probably lose what, like 5% of our capital invested, maybe if that, whereas the upside is, is, is high. And so I think of sneakers as more of an asset that's that's akin to akin to gold, right? Where it's like, you know, it, it, it's kind of something shiny that humanity has always liked. Obviously the differences with gold is that gold, you know, there's only a finite amount of gold in the world. But I think like that's something that, Nike and Adidas and the other brands are doing with most sneakers, right? They, they, they really control supply, and so there's that artificial supply constraint anyway. And so I see sneakers as a very you know critical part of anyone's investing portfolio to have exposure there. But where you know you're happy to kind of have a in I guess a non-volatile asset that's that's gonna um, you know that, that's gonna kind of hold its value and really, especially with inflation. You know, I, I, we don't know because we've never been in an inflationary environment, but my guess is that sneakers will hold quite well to inflation just because Nike will have to raise their prices, right? And if they raise their prices, the price of the sneakers will inevitably come up from the secondary market. And so I'm, I think it's, it's just one of, those, one of those asset classes that I think 
you know, you should have a bit of exposure to, right? In a, in a, in a very well rounded um, portfolio, and and you know, depending obviously on your goals of, of your asset allocation. Well, listen, I, I find I find your sneaker fund fascinating, and the fact that you have you know six thousand pairs in it. I mean, are there any plans on expanding that? And if not, like if somebody can't get in on a fund or, or, or something similar to it, like if somebody else has that, I don't know what they do. How would you recommend to like a, a listener, right? Like, hey, I want to put my money down on, on, on a nice pair of sneakers that I can hold and, and maybe increase in value over a couple of years. Where would they start? I know that's a two-part question. I'll, I'll answer the first question first. So I think with us, we're definitely expanding the fund. We're going to take in more, more capital probably early next year. Um, we're, we're filming this in, in, in December 2021, but I think, yeah, 2022, we're, we're definitely going to scale this fund up. And I think that's the hard thing. I think with sneakers, and this is where it gets um, to answer the second question, what, what makes it really difficult is, is that there's a storage element, right? Which is why we offer cold storage to our resellers because if you think about gold, right? I always bring it back to gold. If you think about gold, when you're investing in gold, you're not getting gold bullions sent to your house, right? Like that, that's, that's just not, not feasible. But with sneakers, I think like, you know, I think if you're starting a small collection, let's say if you have like 10 grand, 20 grand, 50 grand, 100 grand worth of sneakers, I think that's still doable. You can store them. And I would just look at, you know, even look at places like Pushers or places like StockX and Goat and look at stuff that you think, you know, you, you could speculate on where you think, okay, well, this is a shoe that's going to, looks like it's, it's good. looks like there's low demand. You do, do a bit of research and uh, uh, low supply. You do a bit of research and there's high demand, you know, generally speaking, it, it's going to go up and you look at the price history of like of previous sneakers that are similar as well. And you could probably you know, extrapolate the trend. But I think if you're going to do this, it's, it's, it's really hard. And this is why we've been so successful. It's, you need the infrastructure. Like it's, it's not just something that you, know, you can, you can just do without the cold storage. Right. And this is what we're trying to build, build out to help. Right. We want to build out a way for people to actually invest in sneakers without actually touching them. Right. And that's what our platform is kind of gearing towards to so that, you know, you invest in sneakers, you buy sneakers, you send them straight to us. We cold storage for you. And then if you want to withdraw them, withdraw them, but you can build up a portfolio in sneakers through pushes. And that's something that we're, we're really building towards. Um, and it's a problem that, you know, we find that a lot of our sneaker resellers have. And that, that's why we're addressing that problem. But I think I'll, I'll be honest, I think if you're, you're, you know, you're just starting out, it's actually really hard to do so. Uh, without the infrastructure that that pushes provides makes total sense you know I, I never equated it but like i spoke to um the ceo of, of uh, vino vest right anthony zhang and so they invest in wine and and so you know you know if, if i wanted to start investing in wine like i buy this wine and then where do i store it you know it's got to be the right temperature you know it's got to be touching the cork a certain way you know my house isn't built for that right so same thing with sneakers like you know there's there's a you have to store them some you know in the, the appropriate way and and they're all if they're in your house, they're always prone to damage, you know, a flood or whatever, a fire, you know, and there goes your investment. Fascinating, man. I'm just wrapping my mind around that. It, does anybody that you know of have a, a similar sneaker fund to that? Not, not that I know of. I know there's like private resellers who, who have kind of like done them, done, done a sneaker fund for themselves and they sell through us. It, it's usually maybe friends and family capital. I haven't seen a fund like us where we have, you know, a couple of sophisticated wholesale investors um, that are on board. Yeah. To kind of wrap it up, what is the your favorite sneaker of all time that you've ever owned? Okay. So there's two answers to that. I'm sorry to make this complicated, but there's two answers to that. The one with the most the most hype and that I love the most in terms of like, man, this is a great sneaker would probably be my Jordan 1 Chicago's. And you know, I wear them a lot. I just love them, right? Like they're, they're, they're an iconic shoe and I think they're, they're just, they're timeless and I love them to death. But the shoe that I have the most sentimental value to 
is probably the Jordan 11 Space Jams because, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I grew up with that movie. That was kind of, you know, we had the VHS tape and that was replayed and, and it was just something that I always wanted. And once I got that sneaker, it was just like, wow, I, I was able to have this. And then actually there's, there's three. And then the, the one that like I, I probably remember the most, like the memory that, that, that I guess the most like kind of burnt in, in, in my psyche of, of, of the sneaker that I remember getting is, is when Sandy bought me a pair of um, Ultra Boost OGs, when the original Ultra Boosters came out, she bought me the pair. And I don't know, there was just something special. And I think that shoe kicked off pushes for me. Like, I think it, it was like a series of events that, that from that shoe got me into like sneakers and starting pushes and all that stuff. So I think there's there's three shoes that that, that kind of come to mind. Do you wear these or, uh, you know, how do you, how do you manage that? These things, they have utility, like, are they too good to just leave, you know, on a shelf or, or do you take these out? I wear them, man. <laughs> I, I, I wear all my sneakers. I, I don't like to have like a um, a collection sitting there. Like I think that that's where the sneaker fund, like, you know, like some of my money's in, in, in well, most of my money's in, in the Pusher sneaker fund as well. And that's where I invest and do all that stuff. But if I have a pair that's a personal pair, I'm, I'm wearing them, man. Like that, that's just how I am. Yeah, I, I just think about you wearing the Jordan 1 and I'm like, wow, man. I mean, in pristine condition, right? Those things are worth, you know, a good amount of money. So, um, I don't, I don't know if you ever get that. Like, why are you wearing those? You know, why are you getting them dirty? Uh, I, I, I think it gives a character. Like, you know, my, my Jordan One Chicago's are like starting to get really dirty, and I love that about the shoe. I think it, it looks really cool. Yeah, th- those, those are iconic shoes, man. Um, last question: Are you always wearing sneakers? I mean, I know this is a silly question, but like now that the sneaker has kind of evolved right into the, into like a dress shoe. Do you find yourself doing that? Like, you know, you got your nice suit, you know, or you got your nice suit and you know, tucked in shirt and then you're wearing your sneakers out or are you, are you still keeping it traditional? You still wear those those dress shoes? No, I'm wearing sneakers everywhere, man. Like they're so comfy. Like dress shoes hurt your feet. I just can't do it. And so it, even man, like even if I'm, I'm I'm doing a formal meeting or I'm going to like a, a, a wedding or something, I'm, I'm still rocking my sneakers, man. That's just how I am. You're repping the sneakers, you're repping pushes, you know? Justin, listen, uh, thank you so much for speaking to me on the podcast. I learned a lot. I'm sure the, the listeners are going to learn a lot. I'm really, really looking forward to finding out more about you guys, maybe in six months, seeing how your, you know, your expansion to the U.S. is going. And I, and I wish you the best of luck. And I hope that we can catch up at that point in time, with maybe get an update and see how you guys are doing. No, it was my pleasure, man. Best of luck. Best of luck to you. Best of luck to, to Sandy, your, 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 your fiance. And congratulations on that. Thank you so much for having me. And, and, and yeah, have, have a happy holidays as well. 